Welcome to Financial Repression Authority's Roundtable Insight, where the best fund managers, economists, and industry leaders discuss the key investment issues and challenges in the current macroeconomic environment. Hi, welcome to FRA's Roundtable Insight. This is Richard Benuli. Today we have Bill Lagner and Ira Harris. Bill is principal and co-founder of Bearing Asset Management. He and his managing partner, Kevin Duffy, manage the Bearing Fund using an approach based on identifying boom-bust cycles, value in the marketplace, bubbles, and distortions created by both fiscal and monetary authorities. Ira is an independent trader, a successful hedge fund manager, global macro consultant trading foreign currencies, bonds, commodities, and equities for over 40 years. He was also CME director from 1997 to 2003. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, Richard. Richard, great to be here. Great. I thought we'd uh, do a focus today on uh, uh, what uh, what we see happening for the coming year, 2019, in the economy and the financial markets, uh, what distortions and imbalances can be identified for potential investments uh, and or trading opportunities. So maybe we begin um, in China with the uh, the China slowdown, uh, do, do you see a potential uh, unfolding of, of a severe credit crisis in China? And uh, could this be the catalyst for, for uh, other effects globally, uh, such as in Europe for the European bond market? Um, Bill, do you want to begin? Sure. I, you know, I sound like a broken record on China. I've been talking about it publicly for over six years now. I, you know, the Chinese miracle um the chinese situation is is um i think late late beginnings um we're seeing more signs of that now the hong kong property markets falling out of bed um the amount of capital that's fled the country over the last you know say four to five years I just think that China is trying to deal with a, a multitude of problems and and a lot of that stems from just central planning um you know, the illusion works great when uh, asset prices are going up and, and people have um, uh, this perceived better standard of living, but the reality is it's all built on debt. If it's, and if it's not built on debt, it's built on a series of other um, government policies that, let's face it, all of us have seen in history only by so much time. There, there are costs to these um, interventions, and I think we're in the early stages of seeing what those costs are. I, I think the economy is slowing down. Uh, I think they'll break the peg to the dollar. And um, I think the um, the global slowdown, it's, it's, you know, China, let's face it, is, is uh, still a major player in the manufacturing world. So the slowdown, continued slowdown in Europe, the um, stagnating economy here in the U.S., you know, I think wreaks havoc on the uh, the Chinese, and I can see that there's even more in the last say 18 months or so more um, disagreement within the Chinese uh, party, um, and I think that's yet another um, reflection of a of a of an economy going in reverse. They're turning on one another. Very similar to what's happening in the U.S. and even in Europe, the political classes are turning on one another, and you know that's those are all. Uh, indications of late stage behavior of a cycle. Uh, just a quick follow up question on that for China. You mentioned 
that you see the potential for the, the break of the peg. Uh, would that be a, a devaluation in the currency? And, and if that were to happen, could that affect the uh, European, uh, especially the European bond market and the, and the euro there? Yeah, I think they have to break the peg. I, I, I think the devalue, you know, years ago, they did a devaluation in a very short period of time, which was what, 40, 50%. Uh, will it be as severe this time around? Maybe not, but I do think they, they need to weaken the currency and, and that weaken currency in their mind will try and buy them more time. They can, they can continue to try and export products and, keep the illusion going. The, the, the problem with China is, and of course, they're also trying to attract foreign investment, but what are the rules in China? The rules seem to change um, weekly. So I don't see real capital making its way, you know, long-term capital making its way into China at this juncture. So yeah, I, I think they end up having um, a devaluation of the currency. They may do it in stages. Most, most uh, smart macro people I know think they do it in stages. I would probably agree with that. But, um, you know, they've got, they've got massive debt issues. And so, you know, when countries have massive debt issues, they, they resort to devaluing the currency and they do it in, uh, in ways that we're witnessing today. And Ira, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, at this juncture, sitting here, uh, dazed and confused in some ways, because I go back to the comments that came out of the White House administration uh from the chinese which is well if we can work through this trade situation we could take your your uh, trade deficit and basically balance the payments problems we could take it away because we we could buy so much stuff so when i heard that it was an interesting comment of course the uh s&p's rallied dramatically off of it but a couple other things didn't happen at that time the yuan didn't rally. And when I read people's analysis, they said, well, that's because um, in order to do that, they have to weaken the currency. And number two, the most uh, ostensible reaction should have been the Mexican peso should have soared. And I'll tell you why. Because if, if China were to actually embark on a massive uh, consumption program, which that statement to me said, and that's what Michael Pettis, who I have a lot of respect for, has been arguing for 10 years or as long as I've been reading his work, which is good. And he's a uh, professor who works out of China, so he knows China very well. Uh, because if you embark on a massive consumption program, that yuan has to go higher. Because otherwise, you would just be crushing your middle class who you're trying to uh, aid because a weaker currency would mean you're paying more for imports and that would be exactly what you're not trying not to do. So I, I'm perplexed by wherever we're at here with all the discussion that takes place. And again, because of global supply lines, if China were to, to massively import mass consumer goods, Mexico would benefit more than any other. And that's because the peso on a relative basis is probably of the mainstream emerging market currency is the weakest of anything in the world. We could probably argue the ruble, but Mex Mexico and Russia serve different uh, purposes in the global uh, arena. So 
I, I understand people who are talking about depreciating yuan, but since that announcement come out came out, the yuan has dropped from actually about six point eight seven down to today. We're down about uh, six point seven two. So I'm not sure. And then I'm going to add in what happened. Um, what they say Wednesday, Monday, the Chinese actually invited S and P to come in and start rating some of its bonds. Now, when I saw that headline, which didn't get much play uh, in anything else I read, but I thought it was interesting because it tells me the Chinese do have, a, you know, they, they don't proceed willy nilly. Now, now I happen to agree with Mike. I, you know, I don't trust a thing that comes out of China statistically. And I've blogged about that for 10 years and I've thought about it for 20 years because my sense of that, and whenever I would speak on panels or anything, it's really a simple rule. If you don't allow Google to operate freely, I can't trust any information that you're willing to either put out because you don't let a free flow of information in. So if you're controlling what comes in, by definition, you've already controlled what comes out. So I, I'm with my, I don't give China much credence for that. But that doesn't mean that China does not have a, uh, a concept here about where they want to go. They always have a concept. How they get there is what we'll discuss and we'll, we'll argue about. But I think one of the, the main thrusts of China is, because they know how important this is, that they'd like to establish a true uh, competitor to the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. I, I believe that because they don't trust the U.S. And there's a lot not to trust about the U.S. And, and, you know, one of the themes we'll get into, I'm sure, and going forward this year, and, you know, what staggers me and, and makes me less bullish on the United States in any regard is that we are operating at full employment and yet have a trillion dollar a year deficit. That is problem to me. Because the last time we were at a full employment economy, which is 97, 98, 99, we were running budget surpluses. So we're in a whole different atmosphere here. And I really, and then you, you, you follow the arguments that are actually building. I, I love that they're actually making it out to the mainstream thought on the uh, MMT, the, mo the, the modern monetary theorists, and how you don't have to worry about deficits, you know, just print more money. So in that regard, I think the Chinese are, you know, they hold a lot of dollar assets as do others. Any type of uh, reaction from a monetary authority to just print more money should make everybody nervous about holding that asset. And because the dollar is a reserve currency of the world, we're all forced to hold that asset. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about, this is the long answer to it, I'm not sure about the depreciating of the yuan. So uh, I'm going to hold my powder on that. And I need to see other things here. And me, I'm more concerned right now. Uh, yes, the Chinese have massive amounts of debt. But relative to other things, their debt's not as great as the U.S. And the U.S. is hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging debt at a time when they ought not to be. And, and if you're really a Keynesian, you should accept that premise because uh, Richard is. We have a lot of Austrian discussion on this on these podcasts, and I've and I've been uh, very proud to do many of them. And the Keynesian view is: Hey, economic times are good. You're supposed to be running surpluses, or at least not massive deficits. The deficits come from demand stimulus, 
and we certainly don't need that. So I'll stop there. Can I just can I just add one more thing to what to what Go you ahead. said? Yeah. I yep. I I read Michael Pettis's work too, and I I like a lot of his work. I I think that the most difficult thing you hit on it, Ira. We we really don't know the extent of the debt situation in China. And because Google and other groups are not really allowed to get data, whether it's on Chinese banks, uh, et cetera, I just think there's such a, a black hole that it's very difficult to, to, to analyze this properly. We realize it's a lot of debt. We realize that the global economy is slowing. Yes, they want to go to a consumption-based economy, but you know, what are they trying to build their quote unquote economy on? If it's, if it's layers and layers of different agency debt or debt in various industries, et cetera, um, the banking system, you know, many, many people think they need to recapitalize the banking system. I'm, I'm in agreement there. It's, um, the world is in debt and they're all playing the same game. So it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch it all unfold. And on uh, Europe uh, specifically, um, Bill, what are your thoughts uh, in terms of the evolving central bank policy trends there as, and the potential for uh, the uh, financial crisis phase two, if you will, to, to start out of Europe? Yeah, so I remember going back to the Greek situation and I, you know, which was 2011, <clears throat> I was convinced that, you know, Greece would would leave and you would start to see the breakup of the European Union. And of course, they, they, um, well, the, the decisions that they made to essentially keep Greece within the EU and, and start this process of bailouts and, you know, more, more taxes and more liens on the future, uh, livelihood there. Um, Deutsche Bank, you know, a company that, we we've been short for quite a while. I mean, Deutsche Bank is telling you there are problems. I think two years ago there was a French junk bond issuer that was refinancing debt for three years at a negative interest rate, <clears throat> all thanks to the ECB. You know, I think they're what at fifty percent of GDP now, the size of their balance sheet. <clears throat> so you know, Draghi was uh, listening to himself speak the other day. I, I just think that. They are going to continue to intervene. I don't see them, uh, you know, tightening policy there. And um, it'll just be, you know, whatever whatever the interventions look like in the future, they're they're going to all equate to the same thing, which is, you know, loose monetary policy and trying to keep nominal asset prices from declining too much. And Ira, your thoughts on Europe uh, and the potential for a financial crisis to begin from there? Well, Bill, we we find great commonality in Europe because uh, the most the most nefarious man in the world is Mario Draghi. People really don't understand what he's done here, but building that massive balance sheet has trapped everybody in Europe. So I, I mean, I, I'm in 100% agree with you. It's, Europe is a mess, and they are walking down this road of perfidy, and it is perfidy. Because Mario really has no plan. His plan was to, as he honest, the most honest thing he ever said was to do whatever it takes, no taboos, to to, per, to preserve the euro. And in that regard, he has really saddled them. 
in a terrible, terrible situation. Of course, Merkel was his guardian angel and uh, paved the way for him. So I, I'm agreeing. There, there's, there's nowhere for them to go. Nowhere. They, you know, as, as I, what was last week's blog, Richard, about oh, Mario Draghi's uh, circus, which the circus was in town. Nothing he said had, had a bit of honesty to it. He tries to control the narrative. And, of course, now the narrative is, well, you know, what the, his two words, persistence of, uh, of conditions that they can't control and makes the assessment difficult. Of course it's difficult. You know, they, they've, they've destroyed the German savers because as, as this, this, I'm on the financial repression authority, so if you want to see the master of financial repression, take a look at Europe and what they've done to German savers. Because if you're running inflation in a country of 1.6, 1.7, you have a GDP of over 2%, and you have negative interest rates on a two-year note of 60 basis points, you've got a serious problem. And while they're sweeping it all under the rug, the problem is just building and building and building. So I, I think that's the real stumbling block to where we're going to go here. Europe, you know, China is, is, is interesting. And Trump really, his disdain for Merkel and Macron for the way that he was, and here's a man who doesn't take those slights lightly. Uh, so I would watch his response to Europe, and Europe is definitely, the German auto sector is definitely afraid of a 25% tariff. And while we're concentrating on China, we don't hear much about Europe. But I would be, I'm very, I'm, I'm very cautious there. And the European Central Bank, again, is, has really put the world into a very difficult situation, and it's all based on debt. And the, and as somebody aptly called it, the doom loop, because you have the European commercial banks buying the sovereign debt. Why? Because it's a zero risk weighting, so I can buy all the Italian bonds I want, no matter what you think about them, and I get to carry them on my books with no reserves. That's eh, a pretty good game. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I'll, I'll, can I add one more thing to Europe? I in the great points on Germany, by the way. I, I look at what happened in Greece and, you know, people forget about Greece, but you look at what's happened to that country since, I mean, look, there was a lot of corruption in the country. And of course we know how, when the Euro was created, what they did to the Greek economy. Thank you, Goldman Sachs. Um, the, the fact that these new taxes, and other regulations were then brought into the Greek economy. It just, you know, it's throwing in another wet blanket on the fire. And I see the same things happening. I mean, look what's happening in, in France, for example, right? Look at all the different taxes and so on. They've got people now protesting. And essentially it's just these, these systems that they've created are unwinding in slow motion. They just, it just doesn't work anymore. Bill, what you do know, you, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Aaron. I think that's absolutely right. You know what, and uh, Alexis Cypris, uh, uh, he is, he, they slapped him pretty good, but you, give me Varoufakis any day, because I'd rather listen to him, and I think he, he talks more of, more of the truth. Again, it's not their narrative, but it's the narrative of really what's going on. And they applaud, Spain is still at 14.5% unemployment, so they've got massive problems, uh, I, I, and I, I just and a lot of them start with the monetary policy because Mario Draghi did follow Bernard uh, 
Ben Bernanke down the rabbit hole. And not only, you know, one pill makes you small or one pill makes you tall. He took the one that made him tall and he is, he, he just can't get out from that rabbit hole. He will not sit back through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill, for 2019, what do you see as the biggest risk factors? Market risk, credit risk, geopolitical geopolitical risk? Uh, where do you see those? Boy, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I think the, it's, it's pretty clear that the economy is slowing globally. Um, many of the macro figures um, show that. The, um, I, don't, I think the Fed is done raising interest rates. I don't think the Fed can continue to tighten interest rates. I do agree with Ira that the U.S. will continue to run significant, and the rest of the world will run these deficits. Um, we'll have more intervention, fiscal and, and monetary interventions, probably later this year. And, um, and of course, credit spreads will widen. We're already seeing the beginning of credit spreads widening, a leveraged loan market pretty much shut down at the end of last year. So, um, and, and commodity prices look actually rather weak. So, you know, you, you could see a pretty, pretty interesting contraction in the way unfold this year. They're not going to sit idle. They're going to try and fight it is, is my guess. Um, and so I, I, I could see where stock prices could go down at least, you know, 20% from here, maybe 30% from here. Uh, I think earnings are going to be a major disappointment and um, credit spreads will continue to widen. So again, they're, they're not going to sit idle. They will, they will immediately um, intervene. They will basically threaten to go to negative interest rates. I, my, my, I've been saying this for several years. The central banks want to tighten interest rates, but they can't. The economy is too weak. The economy is weak for all the reasons we were discussing earlier. Intervention, debt, um, the size of government vis-a-vis the real economy, regulation. Um, so I, I think they'll, they're going to intervene. I think they will threaten to go to negative interest rates. And I wouldn't be surprised if the deficits go north of, you know, a trillion dollars a year here in the U.S. I could see where the deficits could go to one and a half trillion dollars very easily. And Ari, your thoughts on the biggest risk factors? Uh, well, to me, there's so many of them. Uh, Europe is one that we've discussed, the Chinese and uh uh, you know, and I, as again, I come back to it, and Bill, and Bill was nice enough to 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 really push, give it a push off the edge, which is the debt levels. It, you just cannot get away. And I agree with him. I think that there's no way that earnings can can sustain themselves here with higher interest rate costs. And on, on, coupled with that, if you get higher wages, it has to eat into profitability. So these people who put forth uh, these uh, growth and profit numbers, which you're not coming off of low profit historically. You're at basically historically all-time high, a sustained level of profitability, which can't sustain itself if labor is to get a bigger piece of the pie and interest rates take a bigger hit. Uh, I, I just don't see. Now, does that result in geopolitical problems? Not sure. Uh, we're seeing some of it. But if, on a global basis, where I see the greatest threat is, of course, uh, from the Prime Minister of Turkey, Erdogan, 
who continues to get favorable play, and I certainly don't understand how, because he always takes the other side of the United States, with down to Venezuela, Putin, Erdogan, the Chinese, you know, line up. It almost looks like the scene from Blazing Saddles where all the bad guys are lined up waiting to get signed up. <laughs> they, 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 can't get, they can't get out from, from themselves, you know. So, But I think I make the Mideast with Erdogan and whatever he is really trying to do there, uh, potentially a, a, a major, major global risk. Uh, there's so many. I, I can't even enumerate which one, which one would be the most, but I because uh, you know I I been to the economics. This debt issue is is really bothersome to me. So I'm in Bill's camp with that. Uh, given all this backdrop, Bill, where do you see uh, trading opportunities, investment opportunities, in particular? What are your thoughts on? the gold euro and gold yen cross uh, rates as well as the yield curve uh, steepening or flattening. Yeah, I, I, I don't see, again, because I, I believe we don't have bond markets anymore. I think the central banks have distorted the, um, Jim Grant likes to say there, there are no more traffic signals, right? Um, they're all flashing this, the, the same color. So, you know, central banks, intervene they distort the prices you create this um these false signals that enter the marketplace um I, i'm very bull i've been bullish on gold since 2002 i i very clear to me that they were going to print a lot of money and they have and they'll continue to print money so gold looks like it's finally breaking out of a you know i'm not a hardcore technical analyst but it looks like it's breaking out of a falling wedge since 2011 which when we were up around 1750 um, so I'm bullish on gold, uh, and I'm bullish on gold, not just against dollars, but against yen and euro. Um, whether or not the yield curve stays inflated, I mean, uh, inverted, I, it's hard to say. I mean, we don't, I, I think what we're really betting on is, you know, how quickly will the central bank here in the U.S. Uh, cut interest rates? And, you know, Ira brings up a good point. You've got wages rising, so maybe they don't have the room that they had at this juncture, right, that they had back in 08, 09, 2010. Um, so that's, yeah, bullish on gold. I, I think the, the other thing that's interesting is watching the FANG stocks decline, right? So a lot of the movement coming out of 2015, the NASDAQ was just a handful of companies. And it, it looks like that the fang bubble has burst. And so, um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, that's going to be a real problem for the broad market as well. And, and you see interest rates uh, falling, as you mentioned earlier. Well, I, I, yeah, I think that the central bank, they, they, they talk a great game, but, um, you know, Powell's already flip-flopped, I don't know, three or four times since Christmas, so Christmas Eve when things were melting down. My guess is that um, they will try to lower interest rates and or the government will run a greater deficit if the economy slows drastically you know, in the second half of the year. Um, I, I will, I'll add the following. I, I do, without getting too much off topic, I do think that the, the technology wave of decentralization is something that is a very positive catalyst for the global economy, but it's a tiny, 
tiny piece of the economy today, but I do see how that could be a very positive outcome for the global economy. That doesn't mean we're going to dodge the debt bubble or we're going to dodge the recession. I, I just think that longer term, that's something to keep an eye on. By that, do you mean like blockchain and robotics process automation? Yeah, I mean, Internet of Things, the blockchain, I spent a lot of time in the space the last five years. I, I just, when I look at all of the inefficiencies and in like just supply chain, for example, you're talking about a couple trillion dollars a year just in inefficiencies. And so the movement of money, you know, why is the foreign exchange market 25 times the size of the, you know, the global economy? I mean, the, the, the disintermediation of Finance is something that I think will um, will change the world, but that's a longer, intermediate, longer-term phenomenon. And Ira, Ira, your thoughts on uh, trading opportunities, investments in particular for the gold, euro, gold, yen, cross rates, and the yield curve? Well, Bill and I have never talked, but those have been my favorite trades. In, uh, in fact, my biggest trade, I took it off this morning, was uh, long, gold, and short, the Swiss which has been good because the Swiss was a little unnerving, but I, you know, if you want to, you know, you know, Richard, I always give the alchemist of the, uh, it used to be the year, but now it's a decade and now it's probably the millennium. And I'm not talking about, I'm going back to, to zero. The Swiss central bank the Swiss national bank. gets, of course the alchemy of the year because they get to print Swiss francs that don't seem to go down in value anyway. And by, Equities, global equities. What what better is that? I mean, that's that's the dream of the MMT crowd. <laughs> yeah. What better right. is it? Let me go print. Let me go print a billion Swiss francs and go buy a billion dollars worth of Apple stock. Wow, that's a great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. And that's what they do. And then they, they're trying to figure out how they can get out of this hole. <laughs> but the rest yeah. of the world. The rest of the world is starting to mimic them. But so I believe in all the gold currencies. The gold dollar has not been that great, but U.S. rates have been going up, and you actually get, you know, I, two things. Everybody, and, and I have this discussion constantly because my phone rings off the hook all the time talking about gold. Don't buy into the inflation nonsense. By that time, gold is too late. Gold is, gold is a protection against central banks absolutely realizing that they've gone down a path that they have no way out of and that the effects of what they've done, that's what you won't go for. The, the inflation will be the ultimate ugly effect. But that's, and people will say, well, it's been a bad investment. Oh, really? How's the dollar done? Would you rather own gold for the last 50 years or to, own, or to be in dollars if you were a foreigner? I, I would say you're, you've been much better off being in gold. So the gold has done what it's supposed to be a store of value. Um, but okay, let's get beyond that. So then let's go. I, I happen to be now. My attitude is that, and I've done it. And Richard, you know, I've done a lot of work on yield curves for 35 years, 40 years already. Um, this this is going to get interesting this year, and I'm looking for steepeners because uh, my attitude is with this debt overhang, and yes, debt does matter regardless of what Larry Summers and Jason Furman's uh, Monday, uh, recent article in Foreign Affairs on Monday, uh, it does matter, and it's going to have a cost. 
And I, and I say that any money manager who would, who would put their clients in anything longer than a five-year duration of U.S. Uh, debt uh, ought to have to take their, their have to be re-examined because they're evidently uh, not operating as a fiduciary because there's just too much uncertainty with, with the U.S. debt situation. I'm not even getting into the entitlement argument. I'm just talking again. We're running a trillion-dollar deficit at full employment. That's heresy if you're a Keynesian, heresy. Um, so I, I see those as, as worthwhile investments. I, I'm looking at Germany, though, as we come back to Germany, because my question to any German is, where do you go to invest? What are you doing with your money? Are you buying two-year uh, are we buying to your uh, German debt? Is that is that doing it for you? I I don't think so. Uh, uh, the shots yielding a negative sixty basis points. You're you're better off putting it into your mattresses, of course, because it'll it'll do you better. So you know, the real estate in Germany has already re- reached almost a bubble proportion, which is highly unusual for Germans because they don't leverage themselves. So I'm going to watch the DAX closely. I know, the, to me, the, the German assets, the fear to them, of course, is that Trump gets aggressive and really starts pushing for tariffs on uh, the German auto sector. That'll keep me. So I'm not invested there yet, but I'm watching because I'm, my attitude is, where do I go if I'm a German? I also like Mexico because, as I say, if the Chinese are serious in what they presented on the uh, – and the issue of, um, well, we can, you know, they're going to really ramp up their imports. Mexico has, has to be a beneficiary of that. So I'm going to watch closely. And again, on a relative basis, the peso is cheap. And it also pays you eight and a quarter on overnight interest rates. I'm not involved there yet. I'm waiting for the 200-week moving average. And, and I, like Mike, I'm, not, I'm sorry, like Bill, I'm not that good of a technician. I use it to establish my losses and potential, you know, if I see momentum building, but I'm not a, it's not the first place I go to do my work. Um, and that uh, covers me in the short term here. But again, you know, I, I look at it with a trader's eye more than I do uh, necessarily with a long-term investor's eye. So I always caution that. Well, great insight as always, gentlemen. The FRA Roundtable Insight Show is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the show each involve their own unique risk factors which are not discussed on the show. Any discussions among the panel participants or responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the panel participants and do not take into consideration the listener's suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Please be advised that you invest or speculate at your own risk. 